Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 74, The Good Place. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you here once again with another show topic. And this one is the second show ever on Sci-Fi Fidelity to be discussed three times. The record previously held by The Hundred, which we discussed thrice on Sci-Fi Fidelity. Now The Good Place. We talked about it in seasons one and two, I think. And then yeah. now season four. Yeah, we're just going to chillax and <laughs> talk some good place here and see what we come up with so uh you know it's one of those shows i think we say it each time we talk about it it, it, it's just so unique in that technically it's a genre show but it's so smart for being a comedy oh for sure and i think that's why it deserves to have an in-depth study because in this fourth season since we know it's the final season we just have such confidence that it's going to wrap up quite nicely and it's it's really had such a different flavor to every season where each one really had its own self-contained mission if you will and it looks like season four is going to be all about testing the system to make sure that the points are being given out fairly and that people can start going to the real good place again eventually but really it's a contest between the good place and the bad place right now right and we don't have the paradigm shift that we had early in the series but but that's okay Close because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you don't know, The Good Place airs on NBC Thursdays, 9 p.m. Episode one returned on September 26, 2019. And you can check out the first three seasons on Netflix. Season four is going to be the final season. And I think that's appropriate. I don't want to say they've run the course of possible ideas, but, you know, once you get up into the 50 episode number, it starts to become difficult. Especially with this concept, I don't think it could have sustained much more than four seasons. Right. So let's take a quick look at a recap for season three, because we see Michael and Janet sneak onto Earth to prevent the deaths of Chidi, Eleanor, Jason and Tahani. And and just the whole sneaking back was uh, really a lot of fun. But the idea is that they're going to help these four improve his or her life make them better people and set a path for them to enter the good place. Because as we know, for if you follow the show that they ended up in the good place by mistake, although we learned that it really wasn't a mistake, but that these were all people that should have gone to the bad place. Well, but also more importantly, I think the discovery that happened along the way was that no one is going to the good place. Yes. And so they've got to figure out what's going on because clearly if people haven't gone to the good place in 500 years, there's something wrong. And I guess the point of this test is to prove that anyone, any human can be set on the right path if given the chance. Right. And, you know, sort of what you're alluding to, we learn about the point system 
that's in place to determine whether a person goes to the good place or the bad place upon death. And of course, the idea is to earn enough points to go to the good place. What's really fascinating towards the end of season three is how Eleanor has come to terms with the fact that she has changed and is fundamentally a good person, which you would think would be an easy thing for her to accept. But this is Eleanor Shellstrop from Arizona, and it's not <laughs> quite as cut and dried as maybe it should be. And it's wonderful that they can have such great character development this late in the series where we're still learning about Eleanor Shellstrop. We're still getting to see the depths of her self-analysis and her personality. Yeah. Now, the second half of the season, and, and this is still season three we're talking about, revolves around a reevaluation of the point system. And Michael's conjecture, as you alluded to a second ago, that somehow Sean and the bad place are gaming the system. He learns that nobody's entered the good place in over 500 years. And I love the final analysis. And it really speaks to the human condition that human life has become so complicated, it's virtually impossible to earn enough points for entrance into the good place. And you know, that whole example they use, I think it was with a tomato that you, you know, you buy a tomato, but the person that grew it uses pesticides, which <laughs> yeah. kill, right. And, and there's just no way. Well, in that sense too, I don't even feel like it is the bad place gaming the system. I almost feel like the point system itself hasn't evolved to yes. meet modern life. <laughs> right. And, and so the season three basic conclusion, it's difficult to make good decisions because of all the unintended consequences. So they decide to redo the experiment for new people and see if they become better. But we get that scene where Michael just has a meltdown. Eleanor has to take over as the architect and Chidi sacrifices his memories, including those of his relationship with Eleanor to save the others. So it's really a bittersweet ending but heading into season four, it appears that Eleanor is going to be running the experiment, which is, of course, what we see at the beginning. So ordinarily, you guys that have been following the podcast know Michael and I typically look at just the first two episodes. But since these are half hour episodes, we're going to talk about the first four. The first three, we're going to spoil you. Fourth episode, we'll tackle in the spoiler zone. That's right, because it will have just aired days before this podcast is released. So we want to give people a chance to catch up, but also I think it's important for the story development that happens in those episodes that we need to uh, kind of at least cover our bases in terms of, you know, what twists might be coming up. It feels like there's almost a complete prologue, the beginning of the story in these uh, first episodes that have aired so far. Right. And episode four, Tinker Tailor Demon Spy, really then sets into motion what episodes one through three have set up. So we've got A Girl from Arizona, parts one and two, and then episode 403, Chillaxing, which is a, <laughs> a term Michael apparently made up, although I feel like I've heard it before, but <laughs> yeah. maybe not. So season four picks right up from the season three finale. Eleanor's in charge. Michael's her number two. She's wearing a dark business suit, and, and I love the little SUV shout-out she gives. And that I don't know what that show's about, she says. <laughs> but she welcomes the newcomers, who they've determined has each been chosen as a particular nemesis as each of the original four. 
And I, I guess one of the things that makes an impression is the wealth of philosophical and ethical knowledge Eleanor now has at her command and, and the fact that she understands so much of it. Yeah, it's like she's acting in Chidi's place since he can't be a part of the architect team with having erased his memories. So, and I have to mention up front, this is probably going to come out in our discussion, but I have to say that season four has done something very key to my enjoyment of the show that the first three seasons weren't able to do. And that's create chemistry between Chidi and Eleanor, her missing Chidi in this episode or in this season is much more palpable and believable than it has been in the past. I don't know if you agree with me, Dave, but it just has been really poignant to see Eleanor and Chidi's dilemma where he doesn't know what she, what he's missing, but she certainly does. Oh, absolutely. And we'll get to a scene in particular that I think just crystallizes everything you just were leading up to, but we'll hold off on that for a little bit. So we learn Matt from accounting is going to oversee the awarding of points during this year long project. And I don't know about you, but I love the character of Simone. I'm partial to the Australian accent. So there's certainly that. Yeah. And she's but, in um, Killing Eve, I believe, is where I saw that actress in a different show. And she was oh, quite good in that. OK, well, she's here and she's one of the four. And she's convinced that this is all some sort of brain trauma, because as we know, she is a, uh, a neurological scientist. And she assumes that this whole idea that she's in the good place, that she's dead. No, no, no. It's just brain trauma. And she's just rolling with it. And I, I love one of the things about her is that she's just so cheaty about things. <laughs> yeah. But the fundamental problem becomes how do they convince her to become a better person? Because she doesn't see the reason to do that. She just thinks this is all part of a, like she keeps repeating some sort of brain trauma. Right. And I love that each person has something different to do because Simone is very much like our original four in a sense where we spent all of season one thinking that Eleanor and Jason were out of place and that Tahani and Chidi maybe did belong in the good place. They were only slightly off kilter in their earning their place. And I feel like Simone doesn't necessarily deserve to be in the bad place either, but she's an example of the system not working for the average person. Whereas the other three are genuinely not likable people. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, one of the things that's just so heartbreaking and that's not usually a term we associate with the good place, but Eleanor has fallen in love with Chidi and he fell in love with her, but he had to have his mind wiped to be part of the experiment. So now she remembers everything. He remembers nothing. And it's something that she's got to deal with. And of course, one of the things that's critical to the experiment is that she introduced Chidi to Simone because we've seen that before. But of course, she's jealous and the old Eleanor would figure out a way around it. But this is not the old Eleanor and she has to know, be selfless this time. Exactly. Around. Because at this point, Simone's the immediate and most pressing threat to the success of the mission, or so we think <laughs> at, at first. Point. <laughs> uh, John, who is the gossip columnist who wrote a number of disparaging things about Tahani in real life recognizes her immediately. And, and of course she's trying to rise above it. And, and of course this is a new Tahani as well, which 
I, I guess we could argue that's the case for all of them. I'm not sure it's a new Jason, but even Jason yeah. comes up with the little nugget that catches Michael in particular off guard from time to time. And, you know, not to uh, get off track, you know, you had mentioned to me you're, you're going to a press junk in, in L.A. And I just want you to know I'm not soups gel. So. <laughs> soups gel. Yeah, John, John is interesting, too, because he was introduced in season three. So he seemed like, oh, this guy's going to be terrible for Tahani in particular. But he wasn't even the worst. I think Brent was probably the most annoying of the bunch. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he he's a materials <laughs> businessman, apparently about as far from being politically correct as one can get. And he makes a point of the fact that he does not like living in this PC society in, in which we're forced to live. And, and of course... Eleanor decides that he's there to annoy the fork out of her. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think she's right on one level. I think he annoys the <laughs> fork out of all of them. But as he points out, he graduated in the top half of the bottom half of his class at Princeton. And he earned his way there, just like his father and his grandfather before him. <laughs> right. And as I'm calculating, you know, the, the top half of the bottom half, I mean, that's not <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but anyway... So we get to the fourth, and that's Linda, who is this overweight, middle-aged woman, shows not the least bit of interest in anything. I mean, Janet is letting them know, and you know, I get through Eleanor, anything you want, you can have. I'll have a peppermint. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, the things they come up with for Linda to say and do are just great. Like, even on flying day, she's hovering like a foot off the ground. Don't you want to go soaring up in the air? I'm fine. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm good right here. <laughs> right. And she gets their attention immediately and they decide right away, forget Simone. We need to focus on Linda because they are exasperated with her boredom. And then all of a sudden she punches them both in the face. Michael and Eleanor starts flying, taking out the other residents along the way. It was a great visual scene. I, <laughs> yeah. I wish we got a little bit of a, closer view when she's flying but uh, of course we're immediately caught off guard where is this coming from michael realizes sean sent a demon in disguise to ruin the experiment and of course alerts the judge who is not happy because she just started deadwood and <laughs> yeah girl i understand <laughs> exactly yeah i love the judge character but she does crack down and decides that you know this isn't going to fly and it has to be punished so Sean is not going to get away with this. Right. And the judge decides Cheedy will be the fourth subject to replace Linda because he's already had his memories erased. And, uh, you know, one level, it makes perfect sense. Uh, we did notice that the demon posing as Linda, when he removes the Linda suit, he's shirtless. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Eleanor that Made, made a point of saying, uh, you know, no, no reason to hurry out or well, whatever. Re <laughs> remember, she, he was the one that kind of was her new uh, soulmate in season two, I believe. So, yeah, same guy. <laughs> right. Now, we get a little bit of the Derek, Jason, Janet love triangle and Janet breaks up with Jason. And, you know, I assume most people, and I probably shouldn't assume this because not everybody is a huge football fan, but this running joke about the Jacksonville Jaguars, Blake Bortles, who Jason idolizes. And he's, if you don't know, he's was a high number one pick who really never 
followed up on on his perceived abilities and and she with a certain amount of glee even though she says otherwise <laughs> tells him that the jags have cut blake bortles it's like part of the breakup almost just to twist the knife a bit <laughs> right so uh you know whether he's going to break up with the jags who knows but derek who yeah i, I can't decide whether i hate him or just dislike him you know there's just something so off-putting about derek of course i guess that's what well here's the thing yeah i do think that's partly his function but at the same time i found it interesting that he was put there basically as a way to explain how janet has populated this version of the good place with a bunch of their babies so that they don't have a bunch of demons running around as it was in the original michael version of the good place that was really the bad place so that's why derek was there initially i'm wondering that you know based on what happens with derek is he going to be back or was that just an introductory way of saying this is how this particular version of the good place is working. I think it's the latter. Yeah. And, and he, of course, provides a, a romantic foil for Jason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we know Derek's living with Mindy at the medium place, which again <laughs> is a setting that we've explored a little bit. And if there was going to be a season five, which in a way I'm glad there's not, I think this is one of those shows that we're going to get some closure and I think we're all going to be happy at the end. But they do have the medium place set up as home base for the team. Right. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned kind of offhandedly at the beginning of the discussion that this guy, Matt, I think his name was, is an accountant that's just set up to keep track of things. He goes into this obelisk and then you just kind of forget about it, but it's kind of glowing off in the corner the entire time we're watching these first four episodes so it's like a visual reminder that this is going to come into play at some point. And I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yep. And the thing about Derek is it forces Jason to not only acknowledge his feelings for Janet, but it gives us another side of him because he's jealous. He goes to Mindy and he ends up killing Derek by pushing that button. And of course, Mindy's, ah, I do it all the time. No big deal. <laughs> but it does say something about Jason. And in the big picture, our four originals, the idea here is that they get other people to become good and right, right. But they can't lose sight of what they've accomplished. So do we look at that? Uh, pushing yeah, the button to kill Derek as a step back for Jason, a, a negative is, is Jason going to lose points? Yeah, exactly. So. Well, I think it's good. It's, it's a good evolution for his character because otherwise he would constantly be the buffoon. Yeah. And I like that they're giving him some emotional exploration to do. Right now, you know, you talk about character development and we've talked about Eleanor and how she's progressed, but the others begin questioning her leadership and then we get that scene where she walks in on it, overhears, and then we get a scene that I think could be the most poignant scene of the series. She quits, and obviously we've seen the character that has the difficult time bearing the burdens of leadership, and it's it's not an easy thing, and, and clearly she's not been prepared for it with her life, but it's just really a, a poignant scene. As she says, I did a bad job of being in charge of my own life, and now I'm supposed to be in charge of everyone else's life, but Michael steps up, and when he tells her that she's the only one who can save humanity, 
And her response is, everything I do blows up in my face. I'm like a hot, blonde, wily coyote, which, which again, <laughs> tempers that poignancy a bit. Well, you're right, though. Whoever wrote the dialogue between Michael and Eleanor in that scene deserves a writer's award. <laughs> it was yeah. great. And, and then she figures out that his meltdown at the end of season three was put on. Just to get her into this position. Yeah. And I, I just love that because that was not something I really saw coming. And I, and I think that's one of the things about The Good Place. There's so many things you can say. I didn't see that coming. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right. Now, the thing with Brent I find interesting is the approach they end up having to take because it, it's going to take drastic measures to make him realize that he doesn't belong in The Good Place and he needs to be a good person. And we get that scene. I'm not sure exactly what they thought they were going to accomplish with chaos raining down in the form of Princeton colors and mascots. But Well, it was supposed to be reminiscent of how Eleanor originally figured out that she didn't belong because they had yellow and black striped people running around. They had uh, shrimp flying around in the air. It was the exact same scenario. If she figured it out based on that, then maybe Brent will figure it out. Oh, based good on that. point. Right, right. <laughs> but of course, his takeaway is that it's a cosmic message that he doesn't belong in the good place. Yeah. <laughs> he belongs in the best place. There's Oops. <laughs> gotta be a place a notch above this. So now what do you do? Well, their new plan is to tell Brent, you're right. There is a best place, but the competition is fierce. And you're going to be judged on your moral and ethical behavior here. So, of course, the hope is over time he'll be good because he wants to, not because he feels he needs to. Yeah, because Eleanor also remembers how she acted when she felt she needed to deserve her way in. She was only doing it for the points, and so is Brent. Right. And she's hoping that maybe it'll become innate. And I don't know if that's going to happen with Brent, but it, it's at least a strategy that points things in the right direction. Well, it doesn't seem like it's going real well, but no, no. <laughs> I, I think it, at the core, it is a brilliant plan. Best they got. <laughs> right. Now, we talked about Eleanor having to put Chidi and Simone together, and she tells Chidi that he and Simone are soulmates, which is, of course, a callback to season one, Right. in the hope that he can help convince her that she's really dead and in the good place. And she sits with him. And again, you talk about that other scene and the writers. I thought this was put together brilliantly as well. So Chidi sits with Simone, suggests she's following the solipsistic argument that she's the only thing in the universe that's real, which is juvenile and impossible to refute. Why not treat people as if they're real just in case they're real, which I think speaks to the way a lot of people view religion and a belief in a higher being. Well, I'll go ahead and believe just in case. And of course, this is interesting because this is essentially the approach taken by Eleanor, Tahani, and Jason during their time on Earth the, the first time. Now, we get Chidi's philosophy group up and running, such as it is. And, and of course, the first encounter with Chidi shows this relaxed guy who understands his good acts on Earth have earned him an eternity of relaxing, which is, again, so uncheaty like when we go back to seasons one and two. But Eleanor and Michael realize this is not going to work because this is not the cheaty we're 
used to dealing with. We need to put some obstacles in his way so he can become better. And again, it goes back to the whole idea that life on earth as a human is hard. Yeah. It's hard to be good. And very often we become good by the way we face obstacles. So well, also uh, Eleanor wouldn't have become better without Chidi's morality lessons. So Chidi does not start teaching morality unless he's conflicted by knowing someone's secret that they don't really belong here. So they have to recreate that exact experience, even though it makes him miserable in order for his expertise can be put into play. Right. So, so Jason's goal is to make Chidi uncomfortable, something that comes fairly easily to him. And then Eleanor asks, well, what else can we do to mess up his life? The more miserable he is, the more he'll teach you. And then we save humanity. And of course, that's a call back to her time with Chidi in seasons one and two. Right. And I, I think Jason maybe wasn't even <laughs> having to work that hard because he just acted the same way he did in season one with, you know, the, the video games and all that, where Chidi could clearly see that Jason did not belong. And Jason was just basically being himself. Right. And, and then, of course, Chidi gets pushed to the brink by all of this. And we revisit that Chidi who could never make a decision. Eleanor tells him well, adversity can lead to growth, but then he internalizes everything. The chaos of his life feels he's being punished and Eleanor breaks down. And again, I think that's what's so brilliant about this transformation of her character in season four. She knows that that's what they're doing to him. It's like she knows that this emotional distress he feels is because of what they're doing to him. And well, also because that's when Michael, his original plan was to torture them. That right. was the method of torture that was used for Chidi. And now she's doing it as though she's a demon. Right. And on the one hand, she realizes that she doesn't have a whole lot of choice right. in the matter. So you know, she realizes she has gone too far. She's angry with Chidi for leaving her, which again is such a human emotion that I think in a lot of cases, somebody dies and the person left behind is angry at that person for leaving me, angry for them dying on me. And, and she feels abandoned, guilty, angry, all of these emotions that she certainly had in her life on earth. But again, this is a different Eleanor. Now, I, I guess to get into a lighter mode for a second, because things do get pretty heavy with the Eleanor Cheedy uh, story arc, Tahani and John... Tahani treats John to a spy day designed to make him feel part of the crowd, but it doesn't really turn out the way she hopes. She hopes by making him comfortable, he'll want to start doing things to become a better person. Well, because he was always left out of the exclusive stuff. So she's right. treating him to all this stuff. Maybe he'll feel like he belongs. He'll let down his guard. He won't be so sarcastic and snippy all the time. And that will help him become a better person. I think it's a pretty good strategy. It, it is. But then when they leave the spa, it seems as if nothing worked the way Tahani hoped it would. And that John is just back to being someone obsessed with status, which, of course, was what Tahani was in her previous life. And Exactly. So that takes us pretty much into the fourth episode and the spoiler zone. So if you haven't seen episode four yet, you might want to stop listening, go watch it and then come back. 
You are now entering the spoiler zone. All right, so the feeling is at this point that all four are on the right path, but Sean is not going down quietly, sends Glenn to really fork things up for our group. Well, now let me let me call this into question. Is it Sean that sent Glenn? Because it seems like Glenn is working on bad information rather than deliberate sabotage, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um. <laughs> it looks like Glenn kind of left on his own because he was like feeling like he didn't really fit in with the Sean crowd. I don't know. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I thought about after I'd watched this episode for the first time, I'm not a huge fan of the, you know, mistaken identity, the, uh, you know, in, in science fiction where somebody appears to be another person, but it's not really that person. So the doubt is established that Michael's actually Vicky wearing a Michael suit. And of course, we know that's a possibility because, you know, we saw in season three, the whole idea that a Michael suit had been established. We get this elaborate visual explanation of how it went down, but we don't know for sure that it's actually what's taking place. Right. And this is an interesting thing for episode four, because certainly this show has had a lot of expository episodes, especially in season three, I felt. And it, it seems to work somehow. I'm not, and again, I think that that's chalked up to the great writing. But this episode in particular was like a closed door mystery, like an Agatha Christie story, where they spent the whole time kind of trying to puzzle it through in a in a single room, right? Right. <laughs> and on my rewatch is when I really, I think, felt what they were really trying to do with it. And, and I think you just explained it pretty well. Should Eleanor trust Michael? when he tells her that he is in fact Michael. Yeah. How can they prove it? <laughs> how can they prove it? And, and we don't know. Eleanor doesn't know. So now how is Eleanor going to proceed? Michael's convincing if this is in fact Michael. And But why should they trust Glenn, who's a demon? <laughs> right. And as the viewer, we don't know either. Right. So it's definitely a good twist that goes along throughout the entire episode. And I doubt many of us saw what happened coming like you said earlier i didn't see that coming <laughs> right so the bad place is trying to disrupt the experiment so that the judge is going to reboot it returning cheaty to the group but also negating all the progress they've made to this point so it, it appears the bad place is getting a little nervous that michael and his minions might actually pull this off so we talked about how they're going to determine whether michael is michael and of course they do the obvious, which is to demand he take off the suit. And Michael refuses because he claims to be a fire squid. <laughs> That's really big. So either Michael has been lying or it's Vicky in a Michael suit. And <laughs> we don't know. Michael agrees to blow himself up to save this version of the experiment, but the others stop him. But of course could be a gamble on Vicky's part. If we take the fact that this is Vicky in a Michael suit. I don't think so. What do you think? <laughs> I don't think so either, but we've seen this before. Daring somebody to do something, knowing full well they're probably not going to take you up on it. Well, but at the same time, Sean was already counting on the Linda decoy as being a distraction to make them think that all of their tricks had been played. 
So I feel like this was the ace up their sleeve, and I doubt they have a third. <laughs> right. Now, if you want to get into the mind-bending, mind-twisting, whatever, the whole aspect of Jason figuring out that Janet's really bad Janet, and he and Michael go to the bad place to rescue the real Janet, but then we get all of this, well, yeah, but remember on the train, the, the, the real Janet? Did, like, <laughs> okay, how many darn Janets are there? Yeah, and the, and we knew there was a lot of Janet, so it is right. definitely plausible. I just really like the fact that Jason, on a number of occasions, has pulled out the win in the most incredible way, but none so great as this one because he based it on the fact that he was you know, trying to say, I've accepted the breakup, let's be friends, and he used the word girl to refer to her, and she did not respond with not a girl. So right. Actually a logical conclusion that he came to. So, uh, so that's the first four episodes of season four, which is, we said is the finale. This season's going to have 14 separate episodes, uh, uh, instead of 13, the way each of the previous seasons had. So there's a lot of time for them to develop this story. I think both of us are looking forward to uh, some really fun closure and I, hopefully we get some emotion in the finale as well, but. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure it will be very poignant because if they were able to pull off the poignancy in these first few episodes with the great speeches that we talked about, then surely they're going to save some for the the end when they have to say goodbye to each other or, or however it ends up happening. So I have full confidence that it will join our list of finales that gave us closure from last week. All right. So what do we have up next, Mike? Well, we don't really know, do we, Dave? It's kind of a rare circumstance. A lot of times over the history of Sci-Fi Fidelity, we sought out people to interview, mostly from Sci-Fi Network, because when we first started out, that was our best bet. And then as time went by, things just improved and people started pitching their actors and producers to us, which was great. But every once in a while, it doesn't work out. (laughs) So we have a couple of different irons in the fire for an interview Uh, But we're not sure if that's going to pan out. So we might actually do our next show topic discussion, which will be Impulse Season 2, which just came out on YouTube Premium, although it's free to watch. Here's an interesting thing about Impulse uh, Season 2 and 1, for that matter. It's completely free to watch on YouTube Season 1. And Season 2 is completely released to those who subscribe to the service, but it will be released weekly on Wednesdays for free. To the rest of us. So it is something that our audience can definitely latch onto if they want to and join us next week or the week after, depending on when we discuss that show, um, because it's really, really good. You've been enjoying it, Dave. Well, you know, it's like I told you last night, I finally realized we're going to be talking about that soon. I better go back and start watching it because I haven't seen it at all. So I watched episode one the other day and I'm like, all right, that was really good. And then last night I sat down and watched episode two and three and four and <laughs> yeah. five and six. Wow. It's, it's definitely bingeable. Yeah. Oh, oh, it is really good. It's not at all what I expected it was going to be. And, and I've got some problems with it that, you know, I'll, I'll bring up when we talk about it, but that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> and that's the fun thing. So it, it, we might have that next week. We might have an interview next week. As Dave mentioned, I'm headed to LA for a press junket for one of the new Apple series called C, which stars Jason Momoa going to do some interviews out there and we have a discussion topic coming up about all the different shows that we are intrigued by because both Apple and Disney are coming out with their brand new streaming services 
and dropping a whole ton of content on us all at once at the beginning of November. So you know we have to make that a discussion topic as well. So a lot of great things coming up on the podcast as as topics that we hope you all enjoy. But that's it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or on the Facebook group. Emails can go to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. And thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit